two verses at the end of that chapter. Verse 24 and verse 25. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling (laughs) and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. I thank you for your word, Lord, and for the people that have attended to hear it. I pray for those that are watching and listening online. I pray for all the saints who are unable to be here today. Bless those that are without, Lord. Keep those and bless those that are within today. In the name of Jesus and all the people said in Jesus' name. Put your Bibles down and give God glory, praise, dominion, and power. Come on, every out of your mouth, out of your mouth. Praise him. Shout great praises to God. He's a great Savior. He's a great Savior. Amen. Stay standing. I don't want you to get uh, confused with the attire. The attire is just a recognition that it's not Monday for me. The the attire is just a knowledge of of preparation uh, and respect for where I'm standing. But the attire has nothing to do with with the person that's wearing it. Don't 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 get enamored with the attire. Just a bunch of sinners saved by grace. That's all we are. We're just don't just really it, I don't I, I don't want you to make a big issue of it either way. I just want you to know that when you're standing for God He's neither impressed or enamored or you are off-putting. He knows exactly what's in our hearts. And we just stand before the Lord and say, I need you, Jesus, every day. Amen. 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 Turn to someone close and just say a kind thing to them. And then you may be seated. Thank you. Some kind thing. like I want to preach, but Brother Michael Lyle, would you come and just be on the organ for a moment for me? Just
when they called for Elisha to give the word to the three attending kings, he was ready to speak the word, but before he did so, he called for the minstrel. And we've had phenomenal minstrels and singers and leaders, but I just thought, just for my sake, I, I just want you to play a little bit, Brother Lyle, and if you break off to a song, I'll sing it. It may not be for you, but it's okay. It's just for me, so you just hang tight. I got somewhere to go, and I, I need a little something... Someone say, since I met this blessed Savior, since 
I met this blessed Savior. Mm-hmm. Since He cleansed and made me whole, I shall never cease to. Come on, everybody say, he touched me. Oh, he touched me. Oh, he touched me. Yes, he did. And all that joy. Wonderful happen and I touched me. Clap your hands unto the Lord. Amen, and you may be seated. Thank you. Tucked away in the last few pages of the many epistles is a one-chapter letter from Jude. His name is derived from Judas, perhaps better named Judah. But in consideration of that other Judas, Jude seems content with this derivative. The scripture will not divulge the distance he took from the betrayer. Jude, in fact, is the half-brother of Jesus, but he will not allow himself such an identity. Instead, Jude simply begins his letter by writing, and I quote, Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. Jude pins his letter from the perspective of experience growing up in the same house. Following his half-brother, the Messiah. The early church is now in its second iteration. The disciples are but a few decades after Pentecost and The Jerusalem saints have indeed settled in. There is a little stagnation occurring, which will soon be rectified. The year is AD 65. 
They are sitting a mere five years away from Nero's rage, the burning of Rome, the great oppression in Mount Zion. Jerusalem, the city, will never be the same. The letter is a quick read, but the depth of it would take us months to find it all. My only observation this morning is what the Holy Spirit showed me in Jude's Jude's benediction, his final prayer. It's his one time, last time, send off. His concluding prayer and pronunciation or pronouncement. He warns the church. They are threatened by the heresy and false teaching that have, that has manifest itself. All of them are provoked by false brethren, vain ideas, misleading doctrines which have infiltrated the church. Jude feels the urgency to point this out. He says... I felt strong about writing this. And then he writes, contend for the faith. I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation. It is needful for me to write unto you, contend for the faith. Fight for it, he writes. Fight for the message that you first heard. Compete for it. Compete to keep it. You've come a long way since you were first filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. So take on the challenge to keep what you first knew. Wrestle over it if need be. Grapple for it. Hold fast if you must. Battle for it. Keep the fervor of the faith. Protect the gospel which you first heard because nothing else will ever really matter. Not property or money or position or materials or possessions or houses or even friends. He writes, Jude 1, 3, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered to the saints. Hear this, saints of the 21st century. You are 20 centuries removed from the day of Pentecost. You are 2,000 years removed from the Lord's first visitation. But you are but a handful of days away from his second, second coming. So keep the faith. Fight for it. Don't allow false doctrines or false premises to creep in now. Don't allow anything to come in between you and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Don't let anything come in to snare you away, to take you away, to wrap up your heart, your emotions, your mind, your will from the love that you have in Jesus Christ. Don't let anything separate you from what you first heard. Contend for the faith. Battle over it if you must. Wrestle in the night over it if you must, but don't ever leave it. Don't ever trade it in. All those who have left the faith are not more enlightened than they were the first time they were saved. Instead, many of them are blinded by hurts and offenses and vain philosophies and a host of other false concepts. So if you're going to keep this alive until the Lord returns, you need to contend for the faith. Contend. Jude is not writing to the saints in AD 65. He's writing on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to the saints of Terre Haute, Indiana in 2022. In fact, we can safely... No, not just assume that the Holy Spirit understood this day because he is the beginning and the ending. And so when he inspired you to write, he was speaking to us on this day, this day, right now, this morning, for you to fight to keep this way. The book of Revelation 
is on the next page. After Jude, the book of Revelation is the next page in your Bible. That's the book of end time discovery. When the earth is torn and the vials of judgment are poured out and the wrath of God is poured out. Where a third of the earth's population is destroyed. And the Antichrist rises to solve the world's conflicts. The next page features the battle of Armageddon in the valley of Megiddo. The mark of the beast is there. And so too the resurrection from the dead. That's why today we must contend and fight back fear and fatigue. Weariness and well-doing is common for the contender. Struggle in your resolve is common for warriors. Loss of fervency is routine for the worshiper. Trouble and disappointment and loss, all of it is a part and parcel of the end-time believer. But fight on, ladies and gentlemen. Here's my sermon. You're going to make it. You're almost home. Don't give up now. You are going to make it. You're going to make it. You're not going to die in your dilemma. You're not going to drown in the deep water. You're not going to lose it all in your time of suffering. You're going to make it. Jude has has no patience to dance around the pressing subjects of the church. His readers know the story. His letter is brief and to the point, dangers and snares, call-outs and oppositions. But the send-off, his final prayer, that benediction is the focus of the Holy Ghost today. Jude writes, now unto him who is able to keep you from falling. He's able to present you faultless. How could that be? Before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to the only wise God, Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and forever. Amen. He's not just anybody. He's the only wise God. He's the Savior. He's not just any God, but he's the one who retains all the glory and all the majesty and all the dominion and all the power. He didn't parcel out or give away his power or his glory or his dominion. It all belongs to him. Is there a God beside me? There is none. I look, I see no God beside me. He does not just hold all the power for a minimal time. And there is no expiration to his glory or his majesty or his dominion. But instead he holds it now and forever and forever and ever and ever. Today and forever. Because he's the same yesterday and today and forever. And everything that he had yesterday he has today. And everything that he has today he'll have tomorrow. And so when you read David say, oh, magnify the Lord with me. Magnify, how can you make God bigger? You'll never make him bigger. He's as big as he's ever going to be. He's as great as he's ever going to be. He's as great and wonderful as he's ever going to be. I'll tell you how you magnify him. You open up your eyes to see the glory of God. We make him bigger, not because he can be bigger. We make him greater because we understand he's great. And we understand his greatness. He's not just anybody. He's the only, only wise God. He's the only wise God. Jesus, show us the Father and it will satisfy us. And in John 14, Jesus said this, Philip, have I been so long time with you and you don't know me? He that's seen me has seen the Father. 
Because Jesus is the mighty God in Christ. He is the Father. He is the Son. He is the Holy Ghost. He said, I and my Father are one. Is there some beside me that there is no? He is the only. Beside him, there is no Savior. He's going to keep you. You're going to make it. He will keep you. You are going to make it. He's going to keep you. You are going to make it. He is going to keep you. You are going to make it. I feel like I need to etch something in your brain right now because the enemy of this world and the spirit of the age is going to draw you out and there's a lot of conflict that's worn against that one statement. He is going to keep you. He will keep you. You are going to make it. He will present you. You are going to make it. He will ensure you. You are going to make it. He will sustain you. You are going to make it. He's going to hold you. You're going to make it. He's going to protect you. He will confirm you. It's going to be all right. I got a feeling it's going to be all right. You're going to make it. Back up a little bit. Now under him who's able, not us. We are not able to keep ourselves. We're not able to help ourselves. We have no power dominion, but unto him who is able. He's able to keep us. He's able to bring us. He's able to present you faultless. There's a bunch of fatigue going on. I feel in the spirit there's a bunch of weariness happening. No wonder why Paul said, but don't be weary in well-doing. Because due season, it's on its way. Don't get weary in doing well. Because you can be doing bad and have a lot of energy and doing good and feel down and low and fatigued and weary in the spirit of your mind and you're feeling all the weight and pressure of this world i just rise to say on this sunday morning he's able to keep you he's able to present you he's able to protect you and he's able to ensure you he can present you he can restore you he can help you you're gonna make it I'm always trying to find out what the intent was. I'm always trying to find out what the intent, what's, why? Well, what's the motive for you to say that? What, what's the reason for you to say that? I, I always think if you find the motive, you found the man. So let me just tell you who the man is, the man Christ Jesus. His full intent, his singular intent is for you to be saved. His intention is not for you to be wealthy. Your healing is a byproduct of his nature, but his intent is for you to go to heaven and be saved. 
Jesus even said, it's better for you to go to heaven, lame, blind, crippled, inept, struggling, than you to go to hell whole. He's intended for you to be with him. Yeah. My God is able to keep you. Here's what he said. Okay, fellas, look. I got some work to do. You're seeing me right now, but I'm going to prepare a place. I got a feeling the place is already prepared. Your robe has already been fitted. Your crown is already the right size. You're going to get a robe and your crown. I got a place for you that where I am there, ye may be also. You're going to make it. You're going to make it. I know it's low and dark and dreary and sad, but you're going to make it. I know you've had loss and suffering, but you're going to make it. If you could hear the spirit of the Lord today, you're going to make it. His intent is to keep you. Clap your hands one more time before you see. Just just a few moments. Exodus chapter 15. Two verses there. I, I woke up with this in my brain a few days ago and had to look it up. Exodus 15, 22. So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea. From the Red Sea. It's, he's fresh. They went out into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink of the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore, the name of it was called Marah. So much victory, followed by so much silence. (laughs) I can see the people, millions who spent the duration of their lives walking out of Egypt, thanking God. Moses is at the front, Aaron's guiding them like, Little lambs out of a snare. They will cross the Red Sea and new songs and dancing and rejoicing will be made. There is no celebration like it. The other side was a moment not soon eclipsed. In fact, they will probably not shout like that again in their lifetime. Then on the heels of watching the waters convene and the armies of Egypt disappear beneath the exploding current and the collapse, they will once again pick up their belongings and head in the direction of their now fearless leader. The first day is a dry one. It's hard to shrug off the thirst. The bane of lambs, the moans of cattle all underscore their own ache. The first day without water still holds the fresh memory of the Red Sea but it's still hard to choke back their bewilderment. I don't know, but this life has taught me a little bit, and I can almost hear someone say, I hope we get you some water soon. I just can't take this heat. By nightfall, the conversation is a mixed bag, some still rehearsing the defiance of Pharaoh, the plagues, God's power. But along with that are empty flasks and dried-up leather pouches. The sun has gone down, but the children are crying for something to drink. 
It's miserable. The morning of the second day is, is not like the first day at all. Every hopeful ridge is empty. Every turn is bare. It's almost like the earth has been burned, scorched, just baked. Dust, wilted, brittle branches marking their passageway. The people are quickly forgetting the ten plagues. The parted sea is a faint thing. Nothing saps your memory like the desert. Famines have a way of erasing the goodness of yesterday. Joseph even wrote of it centuries before. The seven years of famine swallowed up by the seven years that, that preceded it. So they could not remember that there was even ever a harvest of seven years of, 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 of plenty, rather, swallowed up by the seven years of famine and the, the gaunt cattle in the dream devoured the healthy. Moses is dealing with the same issue. Two days walking in the hardened ground is wiping out the wonder of their prior week. The people are not happy. and They're blaming Moses. The babies can only take so much. The elderly can only stand so much. The animals cannot be comforted. And the leaders are longing for answers. By the third day, there is no restraint. It's the day of finality. The third day always seals the deal. Three days is the right amount of time to determine the end of any one thing. Three days of no water is the length of separation from wanting to get out to wondering why you ever left in the first place. It's the right amount of time to establish ownership. And right now Moses owns the drought. He owns the dry. He alone now is their reason for misery. God is nowhere in the picture, but Moses is. And right about three days, he's turned from their fearless leader into their fruitless, failing leader. Because the skies are empty and the direction is empty. and They're headed in the right direction, but three days without water, no one's going to believe that. You can tell me that you're walking by faith. I love that line. I love to hear it. A lot of people say it with conviction. They quote it like it's a byline of a Jabez convention in a quantic some place, some tropic, some town. Expanding, gaining, growing, harvest all the time. Walking by faith. But your real walk of faith does not begin until you are three days without water. Real faith happens when you believe that you made the right choice, you're heading the right direction, but there's no evidence to support your decision. Real faith is the antithesis of assurance because there is no assurance. I hear Christian people brag about faith, but the moment they lose what they work for, they start to question the intentions of God. They start to question doctrine, the gospel, the Bible, the church, and their leadership. I've stood by to hear the comment. What was all that for? We did all that. I cannot help but think that perhaps the children of Israel were saying the same thing. What was all this for? All those plagues and all those things that happened. All those miracles in the sky and all those impassable waters in the Red Sea. And the shouting and the dancing and the rejoicing. My kids are dying of thirst. What was all that for? So much victory followed by so much silence. So much rejoicing but so much suffering. It was a three-day journey until they finally came to the water. But when they arrived at the water, it was not fit to drink. It was not a, it did not appear as it was. Maybe some of them took off to plunge headfirst until they found that the water was putrefied uh, and bitter and and, and, and rank and it smelled and it, it couldn't get worse. Water, yes, but you cannot even drink it. Like a tease, an answer that, that is not an answer, a solution without satisfaction. And I cannot tell you why. It does not, it does not enter my mind. I cannot tell you why. I don't know why. But God will often allow the victory to be in your hand and then lead you through something that has the ability to wipe it out. 
He'll give you a blessing and then put you through a storm that has the ability to make you question your very life. Ask the disciples when they looked at Jesus and they woke him up and they said, Master, don't you care that we die? The miracle of loaves and fish were just fresh. It was in their memory, but, but they could not remember it because of the ways the tempest, any tempest can reduce your courage and your time and your belief. Walk long enough with no water, no sign, no reprieve. And you may very well think that you've made a mistake. And the tempest can be sickness or disease or financial financial depletion or death or some major issue in your family. And then to make matters worse, they come upon the moment. You might come upon the moment of your perceived solution, but you'll find it bitter to drink. It's a perplexity that will make you cautious before you say that you're walking by faith. Faith walkers, ladies and gentlemen, cannot see a thing. Faith walkers, they don't know where they're heading because they're just being led by obedience. People who walk by faith hold no evidence and no confidence. They have no fallback. They have no resources. But when it comes to Mara, there's nothing like Mara. The place had no name until they came upon it. They called it by its limitations. They gave the water a name according to what it lacked. Its deficit became its identification. Useless water, empty promises. And now finally on the third day, when the water was all that was left, the Bible said that God showed Moses a tree. And he cried unto the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. When he had cast into the waters, the waters had been made sweet. Because at the end of it all, the Lord will never leave you helpless. He's not going to leave you dry. He's not going to leave you empty. He's going to preserve your soul. You are going to make it. You're not going to die. You feel like you might die. You feel like you're empty, but you're not going to be empty and you're not going to die. It won't last forever. He made a way for Jacob through the mire of his own making and brought him out and gave him a new name. You're going to make it. He gave Hannah the desire of her heart, a son, even when her leader accused her falsely of being drunk. He restored David, though the depths of his issues were exposed in the light of day and everybody knows them, but God was faithful. His faithfulness is brand new. His mercies are fresh every morning. You're going to make it. No matter what happened yesterday, he starts over with fresh bread of mercy. When you got up this morning, you may have exhausted all of that yesterday, but he's got a brand new fresh loaf coming up for you. It's all about mercy for the Lord. I don't know how he does it, but he's going to present you faultless one day. And you're going to say, me? With all these faults and all these issues, he's able to keep you and to present you faultless? Because he still has the power and the glory and the authority and the dominion. Some of you made some some bad friendships. You've got some bad relationships going on that you should never have cultivated. You should never have put that together. And now there's strings attached. Some bad alliances like Jehoshaphat. Who joined with backslidden men. Who said this was the will of God. That was a lie. He was the king of Judah. The king of Israel was a backslidden king. 
walking around quoting God, drafted Jehoshaphat, the righteous king. He's righteous, but he's not wise. He loves God, but he doesn't make good decisions. Then he said, not only us, but how about the king of Edom? That's the worst place you want to be, Edom. The Edomites, what? The Edomites, they come from a lineage of great and moral duress and debauchery. I won't even get into it. And Jehoshaphat is standing there with these two wicked kings. He made a bad alliance. But God is faithful. (laughs) And God rescued Jehoshaphat. Those other guys, those cats, they reaped a benefit because of the good cat. One good cat, two bad cats, and that was just inspiration. (laughs) Uh People think, hey, this is working out well for us. It wasn't about them. It was because the Lord was faithful even though you made a bad choice. You need to wake up. You need to realize it was the Lord that did that the whole time. He was able. You were not able. But he brought you out even though that was an unhealthy thing. You have no idea how faithful the Lord is. Even when you are not faithful, he's still faithful. Even when you are faithless, he still believes in you. Even when you're stumbling, you're falling, you're messing up. You know you're messing up. Even when you don't know you're messing up and pride has overwhelmed your heart, you think you're good. He's better than your perceived goodness. He knows how wretched you are. Even David looked up and said, who would even consider me old wretched man that I am? You're going to make it. I know it. I know. You're doing the right thing. You, you pronounce it. You're, by your own words, the heavens are shut up and it affects you also. But he'll take you to a little brook called Cherith. Cherith comes to the root word we use for love. He puts you in a, in, a, in, a, in a little creek bed called love. And then he has one of the strangest beasts. In fact, the most rebellious bird in the sky, the raven, comes to feed you. He subdues the most rebellious of his creation to come and give you meat and bread. Because his design is for you to make it. You're going to make it. I did the right thing. But all my family shut me out. And all my friends won't let me come around anymore. And everybody's telling me that they would, they, they'd be my friend if I would just leave the church. And, and, and they'd get close to me if I, would just, if I would just go back to my old lifestyle. And now I have nobody. I'm alone. I feel alone. But the Lord... <laughs> He's going to put you in a little river called love. He's going to feed you from sources you have no idea because you're going to make it. You're going to make it. You're not going down. You're not going to be empty. God is on your side. I don't know, but maybe the most difficult of them all is when you've got a good walk with God. You're doing so good. and You've got so much faith and you're, and you're traveling. You've seen the miracles. But then right at the point, the climatic point of your life, when you boast that you're strong in God. And then you get caught in the night and someone pokes at you. 
and they get you at your tender spot when fear fills your heart and you call out and say, I, I don't know them. I don't know him. I'm not a part of any of that. And then the rush of betrayal and denial and your own insecurity comes in. I don't know, but it's when you've been living for the Lord a long time and then you deny that you ever knew him and you swear a solemn oath. I've got nothing to do with those people. And that's when he who is able, goes to intercede for you. And he says to you, Satan, he wants you because you've seen all of it and you know it. He'd like to sift you like wheat in his hand. But I'm standing in the way. I prayed for you. Then he says, (laughs) and when you're converted, see, you thought you were converted. But you're not converted until you go through three days of dry, nothing, defeat, your own issues. You go through the dark time, you're going to get converted. (laughs) When you're converted, you're going to go around and strengthen the brethren. Because you're going to make it. He forgave Peter, brought him back, restored him, and then set him up as the world's first Pentecostal preacher. Because he knew he had designed for Peter's life, even though Peter had seen it all. But there was a change. After the accusation and the denial, there was a change in his life. Here's the word that Jude wrote, writes to all of us. Now unto him who's able. You see, some things even die. And we give up because we have a finality on ourselves and other people. I want you to know, the Lord can bring you back to life. He waited four days on purpose to get back to Bethany. He said, I'd like to go, but I'm not going right now. Let's just stay where we are. Because I want to make sure that I bring them down to the point, like Gideon's army from 32,000 to 300. When I do it, there'll be no doubt it had to be him. He walks in and they all say, by now our brother is stinky. He stinketh. His body is rotten. His decay. And then the Lord said, yeah, but you don't understand. I'm the resurrection and the life. You're going to make it because I can pick things up and bring them back to life. You knew were dead. You thought they were dead. You said that'll never happen. In fact, you settle in your mind. You put a tombstone on it and you walked away from it. You put a nice flower and said, we'll be back this time next year just to commemorate your passing. And the Lord steps in and said, oh no, you might as well just roll that stone back because I am the word. I'm the living breath. I'm the life. You're going to make it. You're going to make it today. You're going to make it tomorrow. You're going to make it the next day. You might be weary right now, but you're going to make it. You might be low, but you're going to make it because unto him who is able. 
If he fails you, you'll be the first person in human history that the Lord has ever failed. He's never failed. He's never missed the mark. He's never shown up late. He's never ran out of resources. There is no limitation to his power. Nobody can take you out. You've been given to him. By the voice which spoke the worlds into existence. Or as Jesus said, I give unto them eternal life. They shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My father, which gave them me, is greater than all. And no man is able to pluck them out of my father's hand. Nobody's taking you out. Nobody can get you out. All you have to do is just get in and stay in and struggle and contend and fight a little bit. And you might walk in a little low one day, but you can just say, I'm fighting for it. You might walk, you might walk with your back and your head down and say, I feel a little weighty and struggling, but I'm contending for it. I'm not giving up today, and I'm not giving up tomorrow. And if I go through a dry season, I'm still going to believe that God's going to provide the way. She said to me, mama said to me, pastor, every time I pray for my child, that my child gets farther away from the things that I want them to do. Every time I go to pray and intercede for them, they drift farther away. What do you think? And I said, keep praying for them because the farther they are, the closer they are to the pit. And when they get down to the pit, one day they're going to look up and say, it was better in my father's house. prodigal does not come to himself when he's got all the things working for him but he comes to himself when he's eating the squalor and the world's going to get bad and it's going to get worse and it's not going to recover and it's not going to get better and you're not going back to 1920, 1950, 1960 you're not going back to those days you're not going back to pre-pandemic days you're not going back there it's going to get darker, it's going to get worse because as we approach the coming of the Lord flip the page and you get to the book of Revelation flip the page and you've got the onset of the Antichrist but I got a benediction for you now unto him who is able? He's able to keep you. He's able to restore you. He's able to resurrect you. He's able to present you. He's able to protect you. And nobody can get you out of his hand.
He's the shepherd. He leads his sheep. He has the most vested interest in your life. Because he bought you with his own blood. He's not just on your side. He doesn't have your back. He is your strength. He is your song. And he has become your salvation. You are going to make it. Now the devil is a liar. And you're going to walk up thinking that you got an answer. And the answer is going to taste bitter. And it's going to make you so frustrated. And you're going to say, we got here all this way. And look at the water. Look at what the answer is. We cannot even use it. But the Lord always has a tree. And when you mix the tree, the cross, with the bitter conflict of your life, it always comes out sweet. Let me tell you what the message of the cross is. You're going to make it. You couldn't pay, but I paid. You couldn't do it, but he did it. We couldn't save ourselves, but he did it. You're saved by grace through faith, not of yourselves, lest any man should boast. It was the gift of God. So when you get to the end of your road, you're standing in the front Lord of the Savior. He has all the answers for you. He has all the remedy. He has all the solution. He has all the answer. And you are going to make it. Right now, in the name of Jesus, I pray against all discouragement and doubt and fear. I pray, Lord, help us with fatigue and the spirit of this age, Lord. I pray with, I pray against self-condemnation. I rebuke the devil. I rebuke the enemy right now in the name of Jesus. I take authority, Lord. The dominion belongs to you, Lord. You're able, Lord. I rebuke every self-doubt and self-criticism because you're able to present us blameless. I don't know how you're going to do it, Lord, but you're going to do it. I don't know how you're going to keep it, but you're going to keep us. I don't know how you're going to restore but you are going to restore us. I want our worship just to confirm that we believe wherever you're standing that God, God is able. Stop thinking about yourself. Stop thinking about your ability. You have no ability. Wipe it out. Just say God's able. I don't know, but God's able. I'm worshiping because God's able. I can't even keep my own mind together, but God's able. I cannot keep my own strength, but God's able. Come on, somebody. That's right. Thank you. Thank you. He's able. He's able to keep you. He's able to present you. He's able to restore you. Wait a second. Wait, wait one second. Uh, if you're new, um, 
We don't do this every Sunday, but we sure try. I need all the people who've been feeling some weight on them and some stress and some anxiety. And you would be, you'd be honest enough to say you've been holding some, a lot of stuff on your shoulders, but you're ready today to be free from that because the water tastes bitter and your mouth is still dry and your spirit feels a little dry. I need all the people that are, that are like, if I just, if I just called you out, you just come on out. I've been low, Pastor. I've I haven't really felt strong in the Lord for a long time. I felt, I've been feeling really weak. I've been feeling, you don't, you don't have to tell anybody, but it's okay. The Lord knows that you've been discouraged and down and low and, and depressed and have anxiety. Look at this. We're going to praise God because he's able. And during our worship of rejoicing, we're going to release the sweet water. We're going to release sweet water in this house. And it's going to be water from the rivers that flow from the throne of God. In the name of Jesus, right now, I pray. I pray right now for every person who has been battling, Lord. And they've been struggling, Lord. And they've been weary of their soul. They've had anxiety and issues in their family and in their marriage and among their children, among their parents finances and their careers. I pray right now in the name of Jesus. You said if we would ask anything, so I'm asking today, release the sweet water that flows from your side. Release the refreshing, Lord. Let there be a refreshing today.